we venture again into these words of Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. In our message last week, we ventured a glimpse into the spiritual realm that God here calls the heavenly places. And we asked the questions, what are those heavenly places and where are they located? Are those heavenly places mentioned here in verse 12, the very same place as heaven, the heaven that we have read about and heard about all of our lives, that place where God sits on his throne and with Jesus seated at his right hand, ruling over all the world? Or are the heavenly places a different place from that? And as we examine the scriptures that speak about heaven and about the heaven of heavens, and then also about these heavenly places, we were led to the answer that no, the heavenly places spoken about here are not the same place as the heaven that we're accustomed to thinking about. The heavenly places spoken about here are a special realm within the spirit world that for the lack of a better way of expressing it is somewhere in between our natural world and the heaven of heavens. Now thankfully, God doesn't leave us to much speculation about the heavenly places. He's provided us with enough examples and explanations describing those special realms that we can know most of what we need to know about them. And also about the creatures that live there within those heavenly places and the people also who live there and in all the many things that all of them do. One of the passages that is especially revealing to me is the account in Luke 16, and I would ask you to turn to Luke 16 if you would. And it's the account of Lazarus and the rich man. Now this Lazarus is not the same Lazarus that was raised from the dead the brother of Mary and Martha. No, this is a different Lazarus. Uh, This one is a poor beggar man. And in this passage, we're given a brief glimpse into paradise and also into torment, both of which are located in these spiritual realms. So they're beginning in verse 19. Luke 16, beginning in verse 19. Read along with me, and I am reading this from the English Standard Version. Verse 19, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate he was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came to lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip me at the end of his finger into water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. 
but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all that between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. I'll stop there. These words give us a vision of some of the people and some of the things that take place there in those spirit realms. And here also we're provided with answers to some of the most commonly asked questions about what takes place after we die. We see from these words that both paradise and torment are there in those spirit realms. And the people who live in each place can look across this great fixed chasm and see and recognize each other. And note here in speaking of paradise that the people who are there were carried there into paradise by angels. Those special ministering spirits sent to serve you and me. We're told about those in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14. Listen to these words. Are they the angels... Not all ministering spirits sent to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Folks, those are precious words of truth that should give you and me great confidence. These and other scriptures like them tell us that God has assigned special angels to minister directly to you and me all the days of our life. Recall the verse that spoke of a child and how the child's angel said, Jesus said, his angel is ever before the Father. God has angels assigned to minister directly to you and me all the days of our lives. And then at our death, they will carry us into paradise. These angels are just one more of those blessed provisions that God has given to you and me to keep us safe and secure from all forms of harm beginning from that first day that we were saved until that last moment of our life when that angel carries us into paradise. It's a wonderful thought. And then here also in these words, uh, in verse 24, we see a description of torment. Words that should frighten anyone who reads them. The rich man is crying out for mercy. He's suffering in the heat of those flames hoping to get just a drop of water to cool his parched tongue. But unfortunately for him, no mercy would be given. He's already passed that point of mercy. He had that opportunity while he was alive, but no more. He was told here that because he chose the comforts of the world and all the provisions that the world supplied, that those would be his only rewards. And we can see from the words of this conversation that even though the people who are in paradise and those who are in torment can see and know each other, they're not able to interact back and forth with each other. That's seen here because of this great fixed chasm that separates paradise from torment. And notice also that the rich man is not able to speak directly with Lazarus or Lazarus speak directly back to the rich man. 
It has to go through Abraham. No conversation between the two. These words tell us that neither are any of them able to communicate or interact with the people who are still alive in the flesh. Seen here because the rich man asking Lazarus to go back and warn his brothers and then the refusal to allow Lazarus to go back. There's not going to be any communication from them back to us. And also in noting Lazarus is not permitted to help the rich man and also not allowed to warn the man's brothers. That speaks an evidence that no saint in paradise can intercede on behalf of anyone, whether it be someone who is still alive or someone who is in torment or someone who is in that place that our Catholic brethren call purgatory. As to purgatory, I find no place in these scriptures, no place in these scriptures that speak of or allow for such a place as purgatory. Purgatory is simply one of those unfounded hopes that the minds of men have contrived to provide one possible last saving hope for their lost loved ones. All such beliefs, folks, and practices as those of praying to saints are misguided and completely false teachings. Christ and Christ alone as the mediator between God and man. That's 1 Timothy 2.5. You don't pray to a saint. Christ is the only one who we should pray to for intercession. And then some of these words here in Luke 16 are confirmed by another passage over in Hebrews 12. And I'd like you to turn there, if you would. Hebrews chapter 12. And I'm going to read verse 1 and then also some verses later on down in that chapter. There in Hebrews chapter 12, we read about a great cloud of witnesses who are able to observe all the things that are taking place on the earth. Listen. This is verse 1 of Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now note carefully from these words just how very close this great cloud of witnesses is to you and me. They're said here to surround us, giving evidence that the heavenly places where they are located is all around us and up close to us here in our natural realm. And the presence of this great cloud of witnesses seems from these words to be given to us for an encouragement here in our natural realm to keep our lives free from the sins that so easily entangle us. Those words again, since you have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance. They're a warning to us where we'll lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. They're an encouragement to us. Though they can't communicate with us and we cannot communicate with them, they are, their presence is an encouragement to us. Then also, down in verse 18 of Hebrews chapter 12, we read some very cryptic words about a mystical city. And though it be invisible to our natural eyes, it's also very present all around us in this 
these heavenly places. These words begin by comparing Mount Sinai, that meeting place where God met with Moses and gave him the Ten Commandments, as compared to Mount Zion, that special city, the holy Jerusalem. Listen, verse 18. You have not come to the mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further words be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God, the living God being Jesus, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now note these words carefully. This city, this heavenly Jerusalem, exists in that invisible realm of the heavenly places right at this moment. And it's all around us. That's where this great cloud of witnesses is. And these words in verse 22 speak to us about coming to that mountain. Us coming to that mountain, indicating that it's something that we are to experience now in our living years. These words you have come speak of how from the very first moment of our salvation, something has already begun to change in our citizenship. We are now citizens of both realms, and that's spoken of in other places in the Scriptures. We are now citizens both of heaven and of earth, those spirit realms and this natural realm that we're in. Folks, listen, as mystical as all this may seem, and I know that it's hard for me to grasp and for you to grasp, it is still all very real and true. We in our natural state have in reality come face to face with the spirit world, a place where our loved ones, those uh, described here as righteous men made perfect, they're right here. They're all around us. They're in that great cloud of witnesses. And may I say that most Christians, even the very mature ones, can't fathom or accept these thoughts. And because of that, they miss out on some of the very special truths of God. And I confess to you that I myself can't truly fathom these words well at all. But I do believe by faith, and I intend to take the steps of faith to believe these are true, that these words are true. I want to say again, and I'll say to you often, if I believe that John 3.16 is true, then I have to believe that these words are true also. And so by faith, I want to take that next step of faith that will allow me to know and to appreciate and to experience these special mystical truths of God. How will that knowledge and that experience manifest itself in our senses and in our feelings on this side of, of reality? I confess, I really don't know. I wish I did. But for some reason, God has given us this brief glimpse into this ever-present, up-close presence. And the simple truth is, God doesn't waste the words of Scripture. 
He put them in here for a reason. And I want to take that step of knowing as much as I can about the things that these words are telling us about. Listen to these words again, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Can you imagine that now? They, thousands upon thousands of angels are all around us in joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. Those are all of our loved ones who have gone on before us. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Of Abel. Now I confess to you that words like this keep, keep me excited about who God is and what He's doing both in heaven and on earth. And I've said to us so many times, we, we have to get past this point of believing that God is just up there somewhere. He is present. He's not just someone we call upon and when we plead with Him, He gives us a few moments of His time. Christ Himself and all of His holy angels, according to these words, on the authority of these words, thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. They are a lot closer to us than we have ever imagined. And they are involved in our daily lives. And we're going to be talking more about that next week. And then, praise be to God, along with Christ and all of His host of angels, there again, as I said, are our loved ones. Those loved ones who have gone on before us, here described as the church of the firstborn. There's Ralph, Ralph Newman, one of just my favorite people, Dr. Cully, Mr. Joe, Terry. They're there. They're there. And then, praise be to God, as we ourselves die, we'll be carried by our ministering angels to join with Christ and His angels and with all of our dear loved ones. And then we ourselves will become part of that great cloud of witnesses in that church of the firstborn. Should we not say hallelujah? I mean, that is just unimaginably right and good. This is not just imagination, folks. This is the real and true Word of God that's being spoken to us here. It's just that we skirt around words like this so that we don't have to deal with them because they're so mystical. But I don't want us to do that. I want us to know what God is saying to you and me, the church of the firstborn. Now again, I know I'm running late. Forgive me, but I want to say this. I want to strongly reiterate that we should never be confused. Just as there was a great divide, a great fixed chasm between paradise and torment, so also there is a divide between us and our loved ones there in those heavenly places. And nowhere in these scriptures do we find where we are allowed to have any communication or interaction with them. Now, why am I saying that to us? It's because it is such a popular belief in the secular and pagan world that we, through mediums, can communicate with those who are said to be on the other side. That is simply not true. And moreover, such activities and such communication are clearly from the demonic world. Those ones that are there in those heavenly places, those principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual hosts of wickedness. So by all means, please, please stay away from even watching such blasphemous things on television. That's not godly entertainment. It comes from the devil himself. So then, what are we to do with what we have learned in these scriptures today? 
It's to know that this place called heavenly places, that Christ is there. He himself rules over all that takes place there. And with him is his host of angels, those thousands upon thousands of angels. Also there is the church of the firstborn, that great cloud of witnesses. And there also are those special places called paradise and torment where both saints and sinners, each in their appointed places, are awaiting the final judgment when God will assign all created things, all created being, men and women, both righteous and unrighteous, and all the angels, both the holy ones and the unholy ones, to their final appropriate consequence. Some into heaven and have eternal rejoicing, and others into hell, that place of eternal suffering. But until God calls everything to a close, those heavenly places will remain filled with their constant goings-on, especially with the activities of the angels and the demons, the angels blessing and ministering to you and me here in this natural realm, and also the demons who have but one goal, and that is to tempt and corrupt everyone, whether they be unsaved or they be like us, saved. That's what demons do, and they will always do that until God calls it all to a close. So, next week, it's my hope that God will give me words for you regarding those activities that the angels and the demons take part in, those principalities and powers and rulers of darkness, those spiritual hosts of wickedness, the ones that we wrestle with every day. I'll close for now. But would you please read through these verses and ponder with me what God is doing, what He's revealing to us in these passages. These are deep and difficult words, but God is faithful to speak to us through His Word if we're willing to listen. So I'll close. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Let's pray.